Oh, well, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Uh, Today, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. And what I'm going to share with you is a message called Finding Christ in Chaos. And um, uh, I... I want to give you a little bit of the backstory behind uh, this message and where where it was originally birthed. Uh, our staff um, uh, is meeting. Uh, our offices are open Monday through Thursday here. But our staff comes together, and from 9 to 10, we offer to God the first hour of our day. We just come into this place, and we pray, and we seek God, and we listen for Him, and we, we encourage one another from the Scriptures. There's actually, uh, I failed to mention this in the first service, but there's actually another church in our community uh, who once a week, our staffs get together, and we pray together uh, uh, during that time. Uh, Reflections Church and Pastor Rob Russo and their staff over there. So we're we're praying together and we're seeing God do amazing things. We shifted our office hours uh, just so that we could do this together as a staff. Our office now opens at 10 a.m. and is, and is, uh, is open until 5 Monday through Thursday. And so uh, we were walking in here on one of those days of staff prayer and the Lord began to drop this message uh, in in my heart, as we were just walking through here, and I, I and the Lord began to to speak this very very clearly to me. There is a prayer I want to hear on the mouth of my church again, and uh, and so God began to begin to unfold this uh, to me this this idea of finding Christ in chaos. And in the weeks that followed, um, the headlines were filled with chaos. We we then we then had the the shootings that happened in in Orlando the terrible tragedy uh, which we we we've dedicated uh, you know our prayer meetings to at, at times uh, the shootings that have gone on and the the divisive things that have happened between the police the shootings in Dallas and the shootings in the different area the riots that have been taking place uh, the multiple shootings in. Um, Germany now, the, Germany had another shooting yesterday, uh, multiple attacks in France and, uh, and, you, and the military coup in, in Turkey. And if you were to take your clues from the news, you would be a complete mess. And if you are only listening uh, uh, or, or if you're regularly attending the church of CNN and Fox News, we're going to turn your attention in a different direction today um, because I believe God has a message for us to position us to have an encounter with him in the midst of chaos. I believe in the presence of tragedy and shootings and terrorism and riots and even uh, you know, for us to bring it home a little bit, the untimely death of Phil Royal. Uh, has our entire county grieving uh, and has a sense of loss connected to someone who would dedicate their life to the service of uh, of this county and at, you know in their their late forties now now gone on in uh, in this untimely death so there 's a lot of chaotic things going on all around us. Here's my message to you today, and I believe heaven's message to us. You can find God regardless of the circumstances. You can encounter his presence 
in a powerful, sustaining way that causes the entire planet to look on in awe and say, that's what I want. So today we're going to share a little bit about that. And we're going to be sharing it from the perspective of the great patriarch Abraham. And Genesis 18 kind of catches us in the middle of the story. And we're going to read a few scriptures here and I'm going to share a little bit about him this morning. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 is as follows. Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the tabernacle trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by, pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Now, uh, one thing that I want to make clear from the very beginning, when, um, when you see that Abraham saw three people, this is an Old Testament uh, uh, type and shadow of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is God showing up. This is an Old Testament manifestation of Christ. A uh, theological term would be a theophany. It is where Christ shows up in the Old Testament before he showed up in the New Testament. This is a moment of visitation from heaven for Abraham. Now, Abraham, if you're not familiar with him, his name means father of many nations. But at this time, he was not the father of many nations. Abraham, he has a destiny in God right here in Genesis chapter 18. He has a calling to answer and a faith in God to grow. And this is what brings us into similarity with this great patriarch, Abraham, is that he has a calling in God and he has a faith to grow. And all of us today have a calling in God and a faith to grow. Look at your neighbor and say, I have a calling in God. Uh-oh, you did not sound very convinced. You did not sound very convinced. Maybe you could look at your neighbor and believe it about them. Say, you have a calling in God. Okay, okay, that's good. All right, see, you can believe it for someone else. I, I see, I see, but not for you. All right. And you have a faith to grow in God. There is something that God wants to cultivate in all of us that, that isn't what it will be in the days to come. There's a faith to grow, a confidence in God. Now, Abraham's visitation was at a pivotal moment for him personally. See, God called him out at age 75. If you are 75 and up, man, you should be given the woo-woos right here. Of course, at 75, I may be like, God, don't call me anymore. Okay, I'm tired, you know? I don't know. I don't know how I feel at 75, you know? I, I hope that I'll be filled with youth and life and everything else and be like Abraham, answering the call of God at 75. He answers the call of God at 75. Five, and God gives him this promise. 
you're going to be a father. But now in Genesis 18, he's 99. 99. Woo. 24 years of waiting on God to bring about the promised son. Now, the, the great thing that we find out about Abraham is that God has already visited him. He's already established a relationship with him, a covenant relationship. And he said a sign of that covenant will be circumcision. He says you are going to be different. And this is the sign of this covenant, this relationship that I have for you. So God's visited him and established the covenant. And this is what's going to set this household apart from the rest of the world He is committed to God. You need to get this in your heart. He's committed to God at 99. But there is a sense that there is still more. And you may be here today and you're committed to God. But maybe you've given up on believing that there's still more. More, I believe God wants to awaken you to that today. He found that sense in this powerful visitation. Now, this is the one thing that you have to understand. Everything was going wrong at this moment of visitation. Everything was chaotic. First thing that that you need to know is that his wife, up until this moment, is living in doubt. She is like, she's heard Abraham tell the stories about how he's going to be a father, but she's barren. She can't have children. She is in complete doubt. Here's how I know a little later on in this story, she hears the promise again and she laughs at God. Abraham, this guy who's got a calling, he is living with Sarah, the wife of doubt, the wife of struggle, the wife who cannot believe that he is supposed to be a father. It's not right. It's all out of sorts. She laughs at God in this story. And then not only, not only uh, do you need to know that he, the circumstances that he has a wife of doubt, but he also has a son of striving. His name is Ishmael. About halfway through this process, Sarah is just like, you know, in so much doubt, she says, hey, here, why don't you take my servant girl, Hagar, and who knows, Abraham, maybe that's how your son of promise is going to come. And of course, those two come together, and then out comes Ishmael. And God says, no, no, he's not the son of promise. By this time, he's like 13, 14 years old. And then just one chapter before, in this great encounter with God, we find that Abraham is filled with concern for this son that he produced in his own wisdom and strength. He's like, ah, God, oh, that you would bless Ishmael. God's like, listen, I'm going to bless him. He's going to be a powerful nation. Matter of fact, we're still, to this day, experiencing the influence of Ishmael through the entire Islamic world. 
where we want to pause and say, oh, Abraham and Sarah. (laughs) You could have (laughs) waited. So he's concerned. He's concerned for Ishmael. He's concerned, and not only that, not only that, but this moment of Genesis 18, Abraham's neighboring cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, are at the height of rebellion, at the height of sinfulness. They are at the height of rejection of God. They are at the height of it. And all of this chaos is going on around this visitation. And I want you to see something. Abraham has a powerful, powerful meeting with God in the midst of chaos. The first real key that if you and I are going to continue to find this manifest presence of Christ in our life. Now, I'm not talking about the abiding presence of God. All of us should take solace in this fact that God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he will never leave us and never forsake us. God will always be with us, but there is available to us this manifest presence. See, God was with Abraham before God showed up to Abraham. And this is the kind of presence I believe that is necessary in the presence of chaos. It's the manifest presence of God which is able to shift families and regions into their destiny in God. So how do we find the presence of God in in chaos? Well, let's take some clues from Abraham. First thing is, he was awake. He was awake. It says, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. This was the normal time in this agrarian society where people lived, you know, raising animals and, 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 and growing their agriculture. This was the time of the day that everybody went inside their tent and rested, slept. And yet we find Abraham looking at the door. He was awake. Abraham was awake when others were sleeping. Abraham was awake when others were sleeping. And I believe that if we are going to have this manifest presence of God, that we are going to have to resist the influence of everything that is going on around us and be awake while others are under the influence of culture and crisis. Listen to this. The conformed will bend to the heat of their circumstance, but the transformed will look for the God who can change it. Listen, the world is filled with people who are walking in despair. That means the absence of hope. 
But people who are filled with God's spirit and God's presence know that hope comes from his spirit. And we can be in the heat of the day, awake and looking for the God of hope. Knowing that if God shows up, something will have to shift. The truth is, though, the world is filled with people who are buried under their circumstance, who are only taking the shape of what the crisis is forcing them into. But God is raising up a church that is transformed, who look for the God who can change it. They're awake. Romans 13, 10 and 11 says this, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Listen, the scripture is imploring us. Listen, don't let the circumstances in this world lull you to sleep in your relationship with God. Do not let culture determine the temperature of the the fiery relationship that's available to you. Do not allow it. Stay awake. Stay awake. Um, I, I went uh, to a really, really, really small middle school in a really, really small town that held the title at one time, the phosphate capital of the world. It's a little place called Mulberry, named after the kind of tree, the mulberry tree. And I was there in Mulberry Middle School for, uh, for, for seventh and eighth grade. Um, and, and it was right in the transition time where they were trying to decide where ninth grade went. It kind of went back and forth between middle school and high school. And then they moved it to high school right when I moved to high school. And, and so in our middle school, they, do, they did for us what they do for a lot of seniors. And some of you will remember this. Uh, there were senior superlatives. Do you guys remember that? You know, it's like little awards that they give out to best dressed, you know, most likely to succeed, class clown, all of those kinds of things. Well, our little middle school decided that they were going to do eighth grade superlatives and it would be a giant surprise. You know, and everybody was kind of like, oh yeah, I wonder if I'll get one of those. Well, uh, you know, I wasn't wondering that at all. I was absolutely certain that I was so under the radar that I would get nothing, right? And so uh, I, I never forget the day I got opened up my yearbook and I found the page for the superlatives and I look and there's my picture and my award as an eighth grader was the most encouraging award anyone could ever get, sleepiest eighth grader. It's a true story. I was like, sleepiest eighth grader. I'm like, what? I didn't even know that was a thing. And I, I, remember, I, I remember thinking, oh, I know why. I, uh, you know, at that time we had, I think, in six classes. And our eighth grade class went to lunch very late in the day. Okay, And I, you know, I never stopped eating. Never, never, skinny as a rail, never, ever, ever stopped reading. I'm a little fluffier now, but, you know, I have to stop eating now, and, um, which is hard. Um, and I'll never forget, 
there was a science teacher who's probably the most uh, even-keeled. That would be the most encouraging way I could say it. The most even-keeled teacher ever. He actually kind of talked always in the same tone. And I'll never forget that he was talking about the crust of the earth. And it made me think of the crust of the bread. And, you know, <laughs> every day I would doze off before lunch. Every day. Now, <laughs> He was, he was smart. He was just boring. Um, he kept waking me up early, early. You know, he would try to wake me up in his class. Then he gave up. And he used my sleeping to keep the rest of the class awake. <laughs> we didn't have, you know, desks that were attached. We had a chair and a desk. And everybody's role right before class, I don't know why they did this in, during every class, but this is what we did. We would take our chairs and we would set them up on our desk. I will never forget the day that I thought the rapture had taken place. <laughs> I'd fallen asleep there in science class and I am sleeping and sleeping and I wake up and I see the leg of a chair right next to me. And I look around and all of the entire class is gone including the most boring science teacher on the planet. They're all gone. And what they, what they did was, is while I was sleeping, they all quietly got their things together, put their chairs on the desk, and snuck out of the room. I just woke up thinking, well, there's no class in here. I just hope there's some lunch left, you know? I... I uh, you know, and I was reminded of that story when I was thinking about this sermon because there are things you miss when you're sleeping. There are things that are going on that you miss when you're sleeping. I heard a great story about a Sunday school teacher that was trying to help her students who were about to go into a main service. And uh, the Sunday school, school teacher uh, looked at her students and she says, now kids, now, now listen, why are we going to be quiet in service? And this one little girl pipes up. She says, because people are sleeping in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think she's right. And what I want to say to all of us here is that, you know, if you're asleep in some areas of your, your walk with God, there may be things you miss. And if Abraham had been sleeping, he would have missed a moment of visitation from God. Listen, we must be awake to Christ and his leading and his presence if we're going to have encounters that unlock our destiny. Listen to the admonishment of Paul by the Holy Spirit to his spiritual son, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Many times when we read that, we, we, we think that it says, Therefore, pray that God stirs up the gift in you. It actually doesn't say this. The apostle Paul looks at his spiritual son and says, You stir it up. NIV says it this way, you fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. You say, you know, some people say, well, if God wants me to do it, he'll make it clear to me. Well, maybe you should take the fan of his word and allow the wind of God to begin to blow on those embers and get stirred up. 
and be awake to his desires. And watch how God uses you. So if we want to have and find Christ in the midst of chaos, we have to be awake. But we also, in the second way, we have to respond to opportunities. We have to respond to the opportunity. Abraham, he responded to the opportunity. Verse 2 says, So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. I want you to notice what Abraham did when he saw an opportunity to meet with God. Notice the action words. It says, he saw, he ran, he bowed, and he said. Notice the action. He saw, he ran, he bowed, and he said. Another way you could say that is he prayed. I just have this question. As I was taking personal inventory in, per, in preparation uh, for this moment, I had to ask myself, when is the last time my worshiped had this much passion? And I, I think all of us would do ourselves a, a great service if we allowed God to ask us, when has our worship included this kind of passion of seeing God, of running to him, of bowing and of praying and crying out to him? There is a New Testament promise that when we respond in this way, God will move. It's James chapter four, verse eight. It says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen, what a great promise. If you found yourself here today dry and wondering where the presence of God is in your home, on your job, you know, in your personal devotional time, in your church, in your small group... What a wonderful promise that you can set your heart to take advantage of an opportunity to meet with God and God will come near to you. This is the promise he makes to us. And he is not a man that he should lie. It's so important that we recognize our opportunities to meet with God. We're going to take a little quiz in the middle of all of this. Sermon, and I, I think you're going to feel really good about yourself, okay? It's going to really help you and encourage you, okay? All right, everybody in here, you have memorized a verse. You may not know its location. I'll give you that in just a moment. But if you would, everyone in here, please quote to me the shortest verse in the Bible. Look at you, Bible scholars. Jesus wept. See, look at you. You can memorize scripture. Jesus wept. It is the shortest verse in the Bible, and it's found in John chapter 11, and it's connected to the story of Jesus' good friend Lazarus passing away and, and then him going to visit 
Lazarus and ultimately raise him from the dead. And it's connected to that story. But I do have this other question. Do you remember the other time where that exact word was assigned to a moment with Jesus? Jesus wept. It was found in Luke chapter 19. It's when he was coming in to Jerusalem. And this is what the scripture says. It says, now as he, Jesus, drew near, Jesus saw the city and wept over it. Why was he weeping? Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your days, the things that make For your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus was crying over Jerusalem. Because they were missing an opportunity. It moved our Savior to tears. The thought that the people of God would be missing an opportunity to encounter him. I love that Abraham responded in this spirit and uttered what I believe is the prayer that God wants on the mouth of the church in this hour. Do not pass your servant by. He says, do not pass on by your servant. Don't pass me by. We do find people in the New Testament who would actually cry this same prayer, blind Bartimaeus, when he shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus had already left Jericho. He was already gone. He had already passed him. And Bartimaeus was saying, Son of David. Summary, don't pass me by. He was a beggar. He had all kinds of needs. Jesus turns around and says, what is it that you want me to do? He says, that I may see. And God heals him. I believe that this moment with Abraham was a lot like the moment with Bartimaeus. Because he, his, his prayer request reveals something. His prayer, don't pass on by your servant actually suggests that there was a possibility that God could have moved on his way to something else. And I actually believe he was. God revealed in this story uh, that he was on his way to Sodom. He said, should I keep this? Should we keep this from Abraham? Abraham, he is going to be a powerful nation. Should we keep this from him? And you know, it, it suggests that God was on the move. I believe Jesus today is extending an invitation to us personally, corporately, and nationally that this is the hour of your visitation where you can host my presence in the midst of chaos. Our cry as the church should be, Lord, do not pass me by. Lord, do not pass me by. I love that in this moment, 
that Adam's uh, Abraham's response to an opportunity to meet with God caused the Lord to pause to repeat his promise with added details. God is there meeting with Abraham and he says, after he's eaten and been refreshed and received the, the sacrificial offering from Abraham, he says, where's Sarah? Abraham's like, she's over there in the tent. And then he says, this time, he goes, this time next year. In a sense, he was saying, in the course of life, because in the normal course of a pregnancy, I'm going to visit her again, and she's going to be holding the son that you've been waiting for for 24 years. And that's when she laughed. God shows up in a moment where Abraham takes opportunity and says, by the way, remember that promise? Now I'm going to tell you when it's coming. And not only is it going to come, but I'm going to show up again when it does come. And that's exactly what he does in Genesis chapter 21. I believe our cry should be to the Lord, do not pass me by. If you have questions about your calling, start praying this prayer. Lord, do not pass me by. And God will repeat the promises he has made over you previously. But in the moments of intimacy, he adds details not yet revealed. The last thing that Abraham did that I want to just call into our attention, which I believe that we can do personally, corporately, and nationally, is he created space for Christ. He created space for Christ. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 4 says, he says, Please let a little water be brought and, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Now, now listen, that doesn't sound like much of anything, right? Because you just go inside, you get some water, and you actually get some bread that you've already prepared, right? And you just get the bread, you get the water, and you go and you bring it to your guests. But look at what Abraham actually does in verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent, and he says to to Sarah, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. He's like, make fresh bread right now. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before him, and stood by them under the tree as they ate. Many times when we read this passage, we actually are not thinking about how long this process took. See, Abraham created space for God's presence to linger. Here's, here's how I know. And God, please, please, again this fall, will you bless me with a glorious white-tailed deer? I love to clean a deer that you have har that, that you harvested. I do it all myself. Don't send it to a processor. I process it all myself. I love to archery hunt. I'm sorry for anybody in here who's a vegetarian. Okay, <laughs> evidently God eats meat. It's here in the story. Um, so, and so I know how long it takes to clean an animal. 
and to wash it and then go and prepare it? And by the way, don't you love Abraham's, hey, let me bring you a little bread. And then he brings out a calf (laughs) cooked and prepared and fresh bread and water to wash the feet. You see, this whole scene took hours. And I think it was by design. Because God's, Abraham's like, how can I get God to stay this close for as long as possible? How can I keep him this near to my house? I know how. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless him. Listen, I want you to know this. This whole scene took hours. And notice this. The heat of the day was never mentioned. The heat of the day was never mentioned. Why? Because the possibility of hosting God's presence was of greater significance than the external pressures. There's a truth there that if we as the church can grab hold of, it will transform this community. The possibility of hosting God's presence was of greater significance than the external pressures. And the process of hosting God's presence was extended through Abraham's sacrificial worship. If you and I want Christ's manifest presence in the midst of chaos, you need to create space for him. After prayer and, and, and just seeking the Lord, August 22nd, beginning August 22nd, for five days in August, we're going to create space for him as a church. We're going to set aside other ministries. We're going to set aside other things. And for five days, we're going to cry out for God's grace in this place. For five days, we're going to worship God and intercede. We're going to have five consecutive nights of worship and five consecutive nights of prayer, but also five consecutive days of, sorry, fasting. I'm actually not sorry. You know why? Because I'm so excited about what God releases when his church decides to seek him wholeheartedly and create space for him. So about the time that your students get going into school and you have all the worries of friends and influences, get the God God of glory influencing them as they walk the halls. There's going to be nightly times of worship and intercession as we seek to create space for Christ to move in our church and in our community in the most powerful way we've ever imagined. So let's ask ourselves this very practical question. How do I do it? How do I create space for Christ in the midst of chaos? How do I do it? It's very simple. It's actually found in a very... A familiar verse, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the great promise. It works personally. It will work for us as a church and it will work for us as a nation. 
if we will humble ourselves and say, God, you are God and we are not, if we will pray and we will seek his will and seek his face and seek to know him and turn from our wickedness, then God will hear us and he will forgive our sin and heal our land. I want to finish today by letting you know that there was a time Around 1905, there was the greatest national revival that ever took place. And not here in America. Actually, it happened on a a tiny island called Wales. It's called the Welch Revival, led by a 26-year-old man. And there there were four very simple principles upon which... 100,000 people on that island were swept into the kingdom. Like in a very short time. Everything changed there. The whole atmosphere of, of Wales shifted and changed. And it was built on these four very practical truths. The first is confess all known sin to God. You want to create space for God? Let go. Of the sin. Just confess it to God. The second is put away all doubtful things and forgive everyone. Unforgiveness will immediately dry up the presence of God in your life. You've just got to forgive and let people go. When it says put away all doubtful things, that means deal with the gray areas in your life. There may be areas that are not sin, but they're weights and they're slowing you down and they're putting you to sleep. You got to deal with the gray areas in your life. You put away all doubtful things and forgive everyone. And how about this one? Immediately obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This is a principle that they begin to see that in Wales, that it transformed everything. The horses stopped obeying them because all of their drivers stopped cursing. We have to. We have to to immediately obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says, please go and pray for that person over there in Walmart. I know your frozen things are thawing out and I know you have places to be, but when the Holy Spirit says, go and pray for that person, go encourage that person, go and be life and light to that person, do what Pastor Carl was preaching about, uh, you know, be grace extended and run to the mess. You're anointed for it. Obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, confess Christ openly. Confess him publicly as your Savior. The spirit of Antichrist in America says you can't do this. It's a spirit. And it's actually not true. So we boldly profess him as Christ. These four things unlocked the greatest national revival I believe that the earth has ever seen. And this revival spilled over into America and gave, it was, was, was the initial sparks of the Azusa Street revival upon which uh, uh, all of the Pentecostals and Charismatics that, that are around the world, some millions and millions and millions of people who've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit started back with these guys in a little tiny island called Wales. 
we can have the presence of Christ in the midst of chaos. You say, how can you be sure of that? It's the age that we live in. We live in the age of grace. Where the, the, the cross has removed every barrier, every sin, every stain. The cross removes it. And now, by grace, we can experience him day after day after day. I believe God wants us as the church to be so profoundly marked by God's presence that when we go as the church, not just, not just as we go and do outreach, as we go individually into our workplaces and into our homes, that everyone around us says, what is on your life? What is happening in you? You say, it's Christ. Say, how can you be at peace with all this stuff going on? It's Christ. How can you be so free when so much has come against you? It's Christ. It's the manifest presence of God. And God wants us to ask again, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Bow your heads today.